Support for this show comes from you, our listeners. As you may already know, our journalism is funded by subscriptions and support from loyal readers. Besides subscribing to our website and getting exclusive daily content on Brazil and Latin America, which filters through the noise to reach what really matters, you can also treat our staff to one to five cups of coffee a month. In return, you get exclusive benefits like special newsletters, behind-the-scenes content, as well as a special shout-out here on our podcast. Today, I want to thank our Buy Me A Coffee members Tonica Thompson, Anderson da Silva, Kat Kramer, Fra, Peter Suffering, Anna Lund, Mabel Shu, and someone who chose to remain anonymous. It's wonderful to see that the list is growing with more people supporting independent journalism. If you are one of those who believe in the importance of independent journalism, and if you want to hear your name on our podcast, just head over to our profile on Buy Me A Coffee, which is buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report, and subscribe to one of the membership tiers. If you cannot make a monthly commitment, you can still tip us a cup of coffee every now and then to give us the energy we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil and a region as complex as Latin America. And we appreciate all the support you can give us. Just click on buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report to find out more. On August 11th, Brazil will witness a rare event. Members of the country's economic and intellectual elites will stand against President Jair Bolsonaro's putschist agenda. They will publicly present a pro-democracy manifesto at an event that will bring together celebrities, politicians, bankers, business owners, lawyers and judges. A democracia sofre pressões. A democracia, eu poderia dizer, se sente acuada, sitiada. The document, available online, has already been signed by over 800,000 people. While not mentioning President Bolsonaro by name, the manifesto criticizes attempts to delegitimize the country's electronic voting system. Meanwhile, the São Paulo Industry Federation published its own pro-democracy manifesto, albeit with softer language. Many have said these reactions to Bolsonaro's escalation are too little or that they have come too late, as the president has hinted of his wishes to overthrow the election for more than a year now. Still, they represent the harshest stance big business has taken against Bolsonaro so far. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report, this is Explaining Brazil. September the 7th is approaching and with it, fears are reiterated that President Jair Bolsonaro will use Brazil's independence by Centennial to try to stage a power grab. And these fears are not mere paranoia. For over a year, the president has told basically anyone willing to listen that he will not accept electoral results gracefully should he lose to former President Lula, the current frontrunner. Quem quer botar no poder? 
Suspeitar? Eu suspeito. Falaram que ele suspeitava, vai ter uma justificação. Eu suspeito. Bolsonaro has encouraged his supporters not to recognize defeat and has linked the army to this strategy. The current defense minister, a retired general who recently served as army commander, has systematically questioned the electoral process. And this strategy has received tacit support from the House Speaker and the Prosecutor General, arguably the only two men on the land who can hold Bolsonaro accountable. Neither seem to have noticed or care about the escalation of threats against Brazil's democratic system. For three and a half years, big business has also turned a blind eye to Bolsonaro's anti-democratic antics, but the tide seems to have turned. Some of the country's biggest bankers, and even the Brazilian Federation of Banks, have joined intellectuals and legal scholars in denouncing the institutional threats facing Brazilian democracy. To discuss these moves, let's speak to Ewan Marshall, editor of the Brazilian Report. Ewan, hello. Hi, Gustavo. Ewan, tell us about this pro-democracy manifestos we are seeing coming from business sectors. Well, in classic podcasting style, we first need to rewind the tape back to 1977, so get that sound effect ready. At that time, Brazil had been under a military dictatorship since 1964, but the tide was starting to turn against the regime. That year, Gofredo da Silva Teles Jr., a law professor at the University of Sao Paulo, he wrote a document that became known as the Letter to Brazilians. And on August the 8th, 1977, Teles read that letter during a speech at his university in what came to be seen as a bit of a watershed moment in the fight against the dictatorship and the country's eventual democratic reopening. So what did the letter say? Well, it called the military government out for being illegitimate, and it denounced the state of exception that Brazilians were living under. There were demands for the re-establishment of the rule of law and of the convening of a national constituent assembly. And at the time, you know, it was definitely a bold move because the dictatorship had a tight grip on Congress. So speaking out like that was risky, but it found support in society. O povo brasileiro quer uma coisa só: o Estado de Direito já. E foi a partir dessa proclamação que alguns anos depois surgiu a campanha pelas diretas já. In fact, some of the strictest rules of the regime were actually relaxed in the following year. And this put Brazil on the path back to democracy. And if we jump back now to the present day, this 2022 pro-democracy manifesto claims to be a sort of flag bearer of the ideals that Teles was talking about. Of course, Brazil is a democracy, and the context of 1977 is very different to today, but there are fears for its survival. Today's manifesto is basically a response to threats that President Bolsonaro may try to disregard popular will and barricade himself in power if he does lose the election. And for him to do that, he might need help from sectors of the military and maybe rebellious factions of state police forces. Now, of course, for readers of the Brazilian report, these fears are not new, right? Because we were already talking about that possibility in March 2021. And I will read exactly what our Brazilian correspondent at the time wrote. And I quote, 
Civilian leaders are growing increasingly frustrated with what they see as the military's complacency toward the president who refuses to respect democratic values and tackle a generational pandemic. But worse than that, at least three sources, including one Supreme Court justice, voiced fears that Mr. Bolsonaro is silently but diligently preparing a, quote, front to remain in power in 2022, even if he loses the election. Yeah, not much of the Brazilian press was taking notice at the time, uh, with most of them disregarding the threats as hot air, but we have been warning about that for some time. But now, the fears of a coup seem to be everywhere. Uh, recent opinion polls showed that 37% of voters believe the president will try to stage a coup. And that's not a majority, but still, if you have less than two-thirds believing democracy isn't facing an existential risk, then, you know, obviously that's a problem. So, Ewan, getting back to this newest version of the letter to Brazilians, who has signed it? Well, it's open to the public, but there are some really important names in there, uh, particularly figures from big business. You've got bankers Roberto Setúbal and Pedro Moreira Sales, who are the co-chairs of the board at Latin America's biggest private bank, Itaú Unibanco. You've also got Cândido Brasher, who was former president of Itaú. And there are lots of CEOs from other companies putting their name to it. Now, a few weeks ago, when only a few thousand people had signed the letter, we said that it wouldn't make much of a difference to Bolsonaro. Now, how badly has that take aged? Well, I think there's a bit of both sides here because, first of all, it hasn't talked Bolsonaro down. I mean, he's still happy to criticize the electoral system and he's still speaking about a power grab. But this widespread pro-democracy push, it does seem to be causing the president some sleepless nights. And as you said at the top of the show, the Sao Paulo Industry Federation, FIESP, has launched its own manifesto, not quite as strongly worded, but still a clear warning to the president. And Bolsonaro would have been certain before that these groups were on his side. And he had a meeting scheduled with Fiesp on August the 11th, which he cancelled. And now he's trying to meet with banks and prevent them from jumping ship and backing Lula. Yeah, Bolsonaro did meet with banks on August the 8th and he was visibly upset. He said he would not sign, quote, any little letter in support of democracy. I mean, the president was pretty defensive throughout the whole meeting and he the opportunity as just a, yet another stage to bash former President Lula, who is, of course, his main challenger in October. Now, Ewan, on August the 11th, law professors at the University of Sao Paulo will read their letter to Brazilians in public and after getting 800,000 signatures. Exactly. Uh, organizers are expecting around 8,000 people to show up for the event, and other organizations will use the day to stage anti-government protests across Sao Paulo. Ewan, we have talked multiple times about Jair Bolsonaro attacking democratic institutions, and in April, one of our episodes asked whether the president's onslaught was strong enough to actually break Brazil's institutions. All of that is to say that we're not seeing anything exactly new at this moment. So why this reaction from intellectuals and business elites now, at this moment? Well, first, I think it's because the election is getting closer. Uh, the campaign officially starts this week, so we'll see a lot of individuals and associations nailing their colours to the mast. But also, there's some concerns about the signals that are coming from Brazil's defence minister. And obviously, we don't know what a coup could look like in today's Brazil, and you know, hopefully we never find out. 
But due to their institutional importance, you'd expect that the military would need to be involved. And Brazil's defence minister is also the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So if he is backing Bolsonaro to the hilt, you wonder how far the armed forces might go. Granted, however, when we're talking about activism from big finance and big business, the main motivation here is always capital. A power grab means political turmoil, political turmoil means economic uncertainty, and economic uncertainty means lower profits. Brazil's economy has been through the ringer in the past decade and a half, but only at two moments in that period did banks' profits actually dip from year to year. Once in 2020, when the economy was essentially shut down due to COVID, and before that in 2016, when President Dilma Rousseff was impeached. Now, the rupture that was a presidential impeachment left markets rattled and dried up any investor confidence in the country. A full-blown power grab, on the other hand, that would certainly create proper havoc, and big finance will do whatever it can to avoid that. Hmm. It is certainly interesting to see banks getting so involved in the discourse, especially because they traditionally operate behind the scenes trying to avoid exposure. What exactly are we hearing from these big finance figures And what else does the pro-democracy manifesto say? Well, former central bank chairman Luis Fernando Figueiredo, he said it has become, quote, embarrassing not to take a stand amid the current anti-democratic escalation. And regarding the manifesto, there are a lot of references to the military dictatorship, a period of time that President Bolsonaro holds so dear. Signatories say that, quote, dictatorship and torture belong to the past. And on the election itself, it reads, Instead of a civic celebration, we are in a moment of immense danger to democratic normality, a moment of risks to republican institutions and insinuations of contempt for electoral results. Now, of course, all of this is coming a few weeks before Brazil's Independence Day on September the 7th, when the president will organize large pro-government demonstrations. And he recently issued a call of arms to his supporters, saying they must take to the streets, quote, for one last time. I mean, that's a bit too dramatic, isn't it? What can you tell us about these planned demonstrations and which kind of support can Bolsonaro really muster? Well, last year's Independence Day, we saw big pro-Bolsonaro rallies in Brasilia and Sao Paulo. Uh, Both of them had explicitly anti-democratic messages. And back then, there were some simmering fears of a potential coup, uh, talk of storming the Supreme Court building and such. But that didn't actually happen. Um, There was a suggestion that if the crowds had been a bit bigger, and if they'd have avoided making a mess the night before, then maybe a coup attempt may well have happened. Remind us what happened the night before, Ewan. So the plan last year was to focus on two massive demonstrations in Brazilian Sao Paulo, busting people in from all over the country. And many arrived in the capital on September the 6th. And obviously they got a bit too excited because some groups stormed the ministry's esplanade and that put Brasilia's security forces under pressure to beef up their police presence for the next day. Oh, yeah. 
Não deu conta, não deu conta. Não deu conta de segurar o povo. E nós vamos invadir o STF amanhã. And on September the 7th itself, be that because there was more security or the, I don't know, maybe they didn't get a good night's sleep, the demonstrations were pretty uneventful. But what about this year? I mean, maybe things just might fizzle out again? Yeah, maybe. Uh, but also you could argue that they might learn from their mistakes this time around. Uh, our Brazilian correspondent Amanda Algi, she talked to one man organising the events and he talked about it being time for, quote, checkmate. I mean, we heard similar things last year, but I don't know, the threats seem to be a bit more credible. Yeah, and I will recall one quote from Eduardo Bolsonaro, the president's third eldest son. He was commenting on the Capitol riots on January the 6th, 2021, and he was saying that the problem with that riot was that it was not sufficiently well organized. And he said at the time that if the right was just 10% as organized as the left is, we would have civil wars in every Western country. So, I mean, now what is unnerving is that the far right constantly uses these kind of words that are both very threatening and very vague. Of course, the goal is to leverage its position by putting its knife to everyone's throats. But Bolsonaro's moves suggest that he is really terrified of losing. How likely is that? Well, I think he still has a chance, uh, but polls show that Lula would win in a first-round landslide if the election were today. And of course, as we at the Brazilian Report always say after this kind of statement, the elections are not today. They're only on October the 2nd and maybe on October the 30th if there is a second round, right? Yeah, but as we also say, uh, opinion polls should be seen as film reels, you know, and not as snapshots. They basically show trends over time. And when we look at the numbers, the race has basically remained unchanged for over a year. I mean, Lula's in the mid to high 40s and Bolsonaro's in the low 30s. But Bolsonaro is gaining ground bit by bit, and the possibility of him forcing a runoff election seems more likely now than it was a couple of months ago. As we've covered in previous episodes, Bolsonaro is breaking the bank to roll out juicier cash transfer payments and force inflation down in the short term. And these moves will have strong positive effects during the electoral season. Yeah, we have seen short-term effects of that. In July, we have seen the first deflation on record for 26 months and actually the lowest monthly inflation numbers on record since 1980. So, I mean, he is making moves that uh, are bearing fruits, but will these fruits be enough to give him the push he needs to pull off what would be a comeback of ages? Well, typically, government approval influences voting up to six months before an election. And we've only got a couple of months left in this race. So maybe this wave of good news might have arrived a little bit too late to change voters' minds. But if the election does go to the runoff stage, that gives Bolsonaro more time, you know, to try and claw his way back. So basically what you're saying is that we will be on edge until the end of October. Yeah, and maybe even beyond that, uh, because Inauguration Day is on January 1st, 2023. And if Lula does win, I think that we're going to be on edge until the very day that he's sworn into office. Right, and this reminds me to make another historical reference of uh, the election of Getúlio Vargas in 1950. Um, the main opposition leader at the time said, Getúlio must not be a candidate. 
If he's a candidate, he must not be elected. If he is elected, he must not take office. If he takes office, he must not be allowed to govern. So, I mean, it's, it's not that history is repeating itself. Conditions are much different now. But I would dare to say this is not our first rodeo in this kind of tension regarding the well-functioning of democratic institutions. So, Ewan, thank you very much, even if you were a bit of a downer this week. <laughs> Thanks, Gustavo. Uh, I'd like to bring some positive news next week, but I can't promise anything. We at The Brazilian Report are about to launch a special 2022 election report with everything you need to know about the races for Congress, governorships, and of course, the presidency. And if you want an early bird discount, send an email to our head of business development, Laura Quijan. You can write to her at laura at brazilian.report. Once again, laura at brazilian.report. Her address will be on the show notes too, which we publish every week on our website. And if you like Explaining Brazil, please give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It takes only a second and it will help us reach a broader audience. Or better yet, sign up for The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model, so your subscriptions fuel our journalism and keep us going and growing. If you are already a subscriber, please, you can give us some extra support by filling up our coffee mugs with donations on Buy Me A Coffee. Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. Thanks for listening. Explaining Brazil will be back next week. Música